Uh, Mark chapter 15, starting verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. So it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. A very good morning to you all. It is good to see you all, and it is good to look at God's Word together again, isn't it? And we're so privileged and honoured to be able to look at the Word of the living God together. So it's Mark chapter 15, and this is 1 to 15. It's on page 1022 in the Church Bibles. So today, we're remembering the brave people, aren't we, who sacrificed their lives in the First World War, and they were fighting to bring about justice, peace, and freedom. They were convinced of that. We're fighting, we're laying down our lives to bring about justice, peace, and freedom. Now, I don't know how many of you know how many people are estimated to have died during the First World War. Well, apparently, it was 10 million military personnel died during the First World War. 10 million. And 700,000 of those were British soldiers. And as significant each of those sacrifices were, we're so thankful, aren't we, for those deaths, for those sacrifices, those sacrifices and those deaths were all significant, but none of those deaths can compare with the death we read of in Mark chapter 15, do they? Now, soldiers' sacrifice may bring about some justice and some peace and some freedom for a little while, but Jesus' death brings about perfect justice lasting peace and ultimate freedom, doesn't it? The sacrifice we read of in Mark chapter 15 is unique because it would impact where we would spend eternity, wouldn't it? Only Jesus' death can save a soul from hell, sin, death, and the devil. 
none of the people who died during the First World War could save our souls from sin, hell, death, and the devil. So let's study a part of Jesus' death day, the most significant death in history, with Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 15. And we'll begin with the first five verses. So Mark chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. Jesus' death day, the most significant death in history. Let us hear God's word. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. So Pilate was the Roman governor, and he's confronted with a man who has no possessions, no followers, his hands are tied, his face is covered with spit and blood, and he has no words of defense. Now, Jesus hardly looks like a king here, does he? Is that how you'd expect a king to look like? No possessions, no followers, hands are bound, a face covered with spit and blood, and no words of defense. Jesus hardly looks like a king here. No wonder Pilate asked the question, are you the king of the Jews? I wonder what Pilate's tone must have been. This? This man standing in front of me? Is he the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Now, king of the Jews is an interesting title, isn't it? And believe it or not, it's not a very common title for Jesus, king of the Jews. And it's interesting, it's only Gentiles. I found that out this week. It's only Gentiles, sort of non-Jews, whoever used that exact title, King of the Jews, for Jesus. Isn't that interesting? So it's only at Jesus' trial and at Jesus' birth that this title, King of the Jews, is used. And it's only non-Jews who say it. Only Gentiles who say it. Let's look at... Uh, the first instance, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. How many sleeps till Christmas? Is it 40-something? All the children, well, you're sharp there, 45. Right? I'm not going to mess with you. 45 sleeps till Christmas. So let's have a look at a, a little Christmas passage. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi... So non-Jews, Magi from the east, or wise men from the east, not Jews, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come 
to worship him. Jesus, the king of the Jews. But he hardly looks like a king, does he? In Mark chapter 15. Or does he? Does Jesus look like a king in Mark chapter 15? Well, in the prophecy of Isaiah, Jesus is described as a king, isn't he? And in Isaiah chapter 6, King Jesus is described for us as someone who is a holy king seated on a throne with a robe. Isaiah chapter 6 is glorious, isn't it? This holy king Jesus seated on a throne and even the sort of hem of his robe fills the temple, this massive building. But this same king described for us in Isaiah chapter 6 is also described for us in Isaiah 53. Let's remind ourselves of how this same king is described for us in Isaiah 53, verses 2 to 8. What do we read there? This is the word of God. He, Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of many people, he was punished." Now, in Mark chapter 15, Jesus looks perfectly like this suffering servant king, doesn't he? As described for us in Isaiah 53. Jesus does indeed look like a king, doesn't he? In Mark chapter 15, the suffering servant king for us. But why did Jesus have to go through all these long trials? In total, there were three trials, weren't there? And they were quite long. Why? Why so much detail about Jesus' trials? Well, it was Passover, wasn't it? It was the Passover festival. And animals had to be sacrificed for the Passover festival. And the animals that had to be sacrificed had to be examined to make sure that they had no defect. What do we read in Exodus chapter 12, verses 5 and 7? 
The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses. So the Passover lamb that was going to be killed had to be examined to make sure there was no imperfections, no defects in it. And that's what's happening here in Mark chapter 15. Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, is being examined to make sure he is without defect before his sacrifice. And what do we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19? Do we read there? For you know, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, set free from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So Jesus is on trial and he is perfect, isn't he? Jesus was perfectly innocent. Because even Pontius Pilate wanted to set him free. Did you notice that in the reading? Pontius Pilate wanted to set him free. There was no earthly reason to condemn Jesus. Now, Pilate was quite famous for his sort of brutality, wasn't he? Do you remember what's written in Luke chapter 13, verse 1? This is an interesting little detail about Pilate. Luke chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. I don't know about you, but Pilate sounds like a bit of a psycho, doesn't he? That he mixes the blood of human beings with animals. He's very bloodthirsty, isn't he, Pontius Pilate? So I don't think Pontius Pilate needed an excuse, did he? To torture and kill someone. He was brutal. But even Pontius Pilate couldn't find a reason to sort of inflict his brutality on Jesus. It's almost as if Pontius Pilate is saying, look, you know me. I don't need an excuse to torture and kill someone. But even I've got a standard. I've got a line. This guy... He seems quite innocent to me. He seems innocent to me. And it's so interesting what happens in verses 3 to 5. What do we read there? Mark chapter 15, verses 3 to 5. Incredible words, aren't they? The chief priests accused him, accused Jesus of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed. He stands in Jesus' presence, and he's like, this guy is amazing. I'm amazed. But he's not answering back. He's not defending himself. I don't know if you've um, 
ever done this, but something I love to do is try and read through like whole books of the Bible in sort of one sitting. And it's quite interesting. When I read like the book of Mark in sort of one sitting, it'll take maybe about an hour or something. It doesn't take as long as we think. But it's something, if you've never done it before, but try it. Try it with one of the Gospels, just sort of sitting down and reading through it in one sitting. It's better than watching a film or something, isn't it? The last, like, two hours or whatever. So read through a Gospel in just one sitting. And it's interesting to note some of the things that stand out. I find when I read Mark's Gospel in one sitting, the phrase that keeps coming out is amazed. People were amazed by Jesus. Let's just have a look at a few of them. Throughout the book of Mark, people are amazed by Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And then in verse 27 of chapter 1 as well. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, who is this? A new teaching and with authority, he even gives orders to empower spirits and they obey him. And then Mark chapter 2, verse 12, he got up, that's the paralyzed man. So the paralyzed man got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all because Jesus healed him. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. And then the last one then from me, Mark chapter 9, verse 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder or amazed. They were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. And if anything should happen to us when we read the book of Mark, we should be amazed by Jesus. That's what should happen to all of us as we leave this place today. Do you know, today I've been amazed by Jesus. I've been amazed by Jesus as I met him, as he walked out to meet me from the pages of Scripture. I've been amazed by Jesus as I've sung about him and what he's done. I've been amazed by Jesus as I've known and felt his presence in his church. That's what should happen to us, isn't it? Every time we gather together to worship, Every time we read the scriptures, we should be amazed by Jesus. We should all leave here today sort of more in awe and more in love with Jesus. So as Jesus stands innocent before sort of Pontius Pilate's throne of judgment, another person is introduced to us in verse 7 of Mark chapter 15. A very interesting character. What do we read in Mark chapter 15, verses 6 to 15? Mark chapter 15, verses 6 to 15. What do we read here? Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing 
It was out of self-interest that the chief priests handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Pilate asked. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Barabbas, an interesting character, isn't he? I don't know about you, but how does the story of Barabbas make you feel? How does the story of Barabbas make you feel? Angry, maybe? Does the story of Barabbas make you feel angry? Well, they may be legitimate feelings. When we think about the story of Barabbas, I said, oh, I'm angry when I think about the story of Barabbas. How could the people have chosen Barabbas instead of Jesus? Barabbas was a bad man. He was a rebel and a murderer. Barabbas was a criminal, a bad man. He deserved to be chained up. He deserved to be tortured. He deserved to be crucified. What did Jesus ever do wrong? What did Jesus ever do wrong? All he did was love people, Jesus. All he did was preach the good news. All he did was heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the hungry, cast out demons, and forgive sins. Jesus was a good man. Barabbas was a bad man. But when we think a bit harder, when we look at Barabbas, we should see ourselves. I don't know about you, but when I look at Barabbas, I see me. I see me. I say, that's me. I'm a rebel. I'm a murderer. We're all rebels and murderers. We're the ones who deserve to be punished. We're the ones who deserve to be tortured. We're the ones who deserve to die. We're all guilty criminals. We're all rebels and murderers. What Moses said of Israel is true of us, isn't it? What do we read in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 24? You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. How true is that of every single member of the human race? What has God asked us to do? God has asked us to love him with all our heart, strength, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And what have we done? We've said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to love myself. I'm going to love my sin. We've all rebelled against God's first and greatest commandment, and the second which is like it, haven't we? But then, we might be tempted to say, yeah, okay, we've all rebelled against God. Every single member of the human race have rebelled against God's laws and commands. But I'm not a murderer. 
Are we? Are we murderers? Well, according to Jesus, we probably are. What do we read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22? This is the words of Jesus. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, sort of a term of contempt, isn't it? Sort of, you idiot, you fool or something, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. I think if we're all honest here this morning, we're all guilty of murder, aren't we? We've all done that. We've all been angry with someone in our heart. We've all hated someone in our heart. And Jesus equates that to murder. And unless someone acknowledges that they're a rebel and a murderer, they can't be saved. You can't be saved before you come to that point where you say, I'm a rebellious murderer. It's a bit like the addict, isn't it? Until the addict admits that they've got a problem, they can't be helped, can they? They can't be helped. They've got to come to that place saying, I'm an addict and I need help. But praise God, the gospel doesn't end there, does it? The gospel doesn't end there. The gospel doesn't leave us in our sin, guilt, and shame. Yeah, the gospel should kill us, shouldn't it? The gospel needs to show us our sin, but the good news about Jesus doesn't end there. We don't stay in our sin, guilt, and shame. Because what happened to Barabbas? He was released, wasn't he? He was set free. And I don't know about you, but that's such a powerful picture of the gospel, Barabbas. I love the story of Barabbas. The guilty one is set free, and the innocent one takes his place. Isn't that glorious? The guilty one is set free, the innocent one takes his place. Jesus had to be treated like Barabbas by God the Father, so that people like Barabbas, people like you and me, rebellious murderers, could be treated like Jesus. Barabbas was treated like Jesus. People like Barabbas are treated like Jesus. Jesus had to be treated like Barabbas by God the Father so that we could be treated like Jesus. And it's interesting. Do you know what the name Barabbas means? Son of the Father. Isn't it? Abba. Bar-Abbas. Son of the Father. Isn't that wonderful? Are you a child of God this morning? Um... I think someone mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you would never call your child Judas, would you? And I suppose another name you wouldn't call your child is Barabbas. What are you going to call your child Barabbas, named after a rebellious murderer? 
Oh, yeah, it's a glorious name, isn't it? If I did have another son, I would like to call him Barabbas, I think. What? Yeah, it'll remind him of who he is. That he is a rebellious murderer, but also, if he comes to faith in Christ, that he's a child of God, a son of the Father, isn't it? It's a wonderful name. A son of the Father. But some people can't cope with this, can they? Some people can't cope with the fact that an innocent person would be punished instead of them. And they just feel guilty and ashamed. Now, of course, we run as a church as Christianity explodes, isn't it? And uh, some of you will probably um, understand what I mean here. But one of the questions in Christianity explodes is this. How would you feel if someone else deliberately took the punishment for something serious you had done wrong. I don't know, how would you feel? How would you feel if someone else deliberately took the punishment for something serious you had done wrong? And some of the answers, well, the answer I usually get is, oh, I'd feel guilty and ashamed. Have you noticed that when you've done the course? Yeah, people say, oh, I'd feel awful. If someone innocent, deliberately took the punishment for something serious I'd done wrong, I'd feel guilty and ashamed. But that's not how we should feel, is it? When we realize that Jesus, the innocent one, has taken the punishment for the very serious things that we've done, rebellion against God and murder. Could you imagine... You're telling Jesus, oh, Jesus, I feel so guilty and ashamed that you took the punishment instead of me. What would Jesus say to you? What would Jesus say to us? I think he'd say, don't feel guilty and ashamed. I died for you. Now enjoy your freedom in me. Live a life in me, isn't it? Live a life full of thankfulness and gratitude in me. It's a bit like um, someone who's had their life saved by an organ donor. Hannah, myself, I've got a friend who had a, she had 24 hours left to live in 2005 uh, with her liver. And with just sort of hours to spare, someone died who had a donor card, and she was given the liver of this person who was a perfect match for her. Her life was saved. And she says, I feel, very often I feel guilty. I feel guilty that someone else had to die so I could live. But then Hannah said, but this person had a donor card. This person said, I want to save someone else's life if I die. And that's what Jesus says to us, don't feel guilty and ashamed that I had to die instead of you, that I took the punishment instead of you. Instead, live for me, isn't it? Boast in the cross. The life that you live in the body, live for me. Live a life full of thankfulness and gratitude. That's what some people say as well with Jesus is, oh, Jesus, I, I owe you everything. I owe you everything. How, how much do I owe you? 
How much do I owe you? Because you've taken the punishment instead of me. And what does Jesus say? Son, daughter, well, brother, sister, nothing. You don't owe me anything. I've got to say this amazing thing called grace. It's all free. Because what could Barabbas do to release himself? Was there anything Barabbas could do to release himself? No. He was a goner, wasn't he? He was a dead man walking. He was going to be tortured and put on the cross. He was a dead man walking. The only way Barabbas could be set free and released if someone took the punishment instead of him. And that's what Jesus did. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are dead people walking, aren't we, in our sins. What we need is someone else to take the punishment instead of us. Because the only thing we can contribute to our salvation is what? It's our sin, isn't it? The only thing I can contribute to my salvation is my sin. And there's another uh, powerful question in Christianity explored, isn't it? What are you going to do with your sin? And I heard someone say, well, I have to just take it. Doesn't it? I have to just take it. I have to just face the consequences now. And you can almost imagine Jesus with tears in his eyes. No, don't go to hell. I died to save you from hell. Don't take the punishment. What should we do with our sin? We take it to Jesus, isn't it? We take it to Jesus. Just like the words of the famous hymn by uh, the Scottish pastor of the 1800s, Horatius Borner. I'll close with um, a verse from his hymn, I Lay My Sins on Jesus. Listen to these words. Aren't they incredible? I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. He bears them all and frees us from the accursed Lord. I bring my guilt to Jesus to wash my crimson stains. White in his blood most precious till not a spot remains. Brothers and sisters, if your faith is in Jesus Christ this morning, if you have repented and believed, not a spot of your stain of sin remains. Isn't that wonderful? That worst sin that you've ever committed. Maybe this week, maybe this month, you've done something you feel guilty and ashamed of. Jesus says, it's clean. Not a spot remains. This is the gospel. Praise God for the gospel.